Hey, how's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 79 of X-Lapsed, where we're actually going to be dipping into the number 11s here. We're going to be talking about New Mutants, volume 4, number 11, at a September 2020 cover date. And, you know, when I look at this, I'm looking at my little short box now that's full of uh, our unread and unreached uh, Dawn of X books here, and... I've only got two more issues of New Mutants in this thing. Uh, the latest one I have is number 13. Um, I know I have a big old box from DCBS on its way as we speak, so <laughs> by the next time uh, I hit up a recording here, there might be one or two more in there, but we're getting damn close. We are getting damn close. So let's get right into it today. This is, of course, New Mutants, Volume 4, Number 11. Stories called Ice Cream Dreams, written by Ed Brisson, with art by Flaviano, or Flaviano, or however you say that. Colors, Carlos Lopez, letters, VCs, Travis Lanham, designs, Tom Muller, head of X's Hickman, edits, Bisa White Sabolsky, cover price $3.99, went on sale July 22nd of this very year, 2020. Now we open, and we're in the inky blackness of Tashi Rapina's living nightmare. We, you know, more or less pick up right where we left off. Armor is being visited by her brother and her mother, and I'm pretty sure last issue I mentioned that it was her parents, so mea culpa for that. Uh, They beg her to free them from this nightmare, but of course, this is all in her head. Double page spread of credits followed by roll call. Boom Boom, Chamber, Magma, Mirage, Karma, Cypher, Mondo, Armor, Wolfsbane, Wildside, Glob, and Magic will be featured prominently and, and less so in this very issue we're going to cover. So, we're inside the inky sphere of inkiness, and Armor is just completely out of it. Her armor bubble even shatters, which leaves her teammates in kind of a tough spot. Doug turns to Mondo to tell him that, you know, hey, you're on... Which is kind of weird, because I wasn't aware Mondo had this sort of powers. You see, Mondo starts to somehow pull together the broken armor bubble pieces. But we'll get back to that in a minute. First, we jump back outside to, uh, where are we? Carnelia. So we're in the snowy, snowy Carnelian uh, landscape here. And Danny is freaking out that her poltergeist tether has broken. And the natives, which is to say the Carnelian security squad, they're getting restless. They're starting to feel like the mutants have wasted enough of their time, and they begin their approach. Now, Rain attempts to reason with them, which is futile for a couple of reasons. First, they're bigots. Second, she doesn't speak Russian. So, there you go. Tabitha figures, screw it, and just tosses a time bomb, which, much to the Prime Minister's dismay, is not caught on film, so he can't use that to further his propaganda dealie here. Back inside the bubble. Now, Mondo has, again, somehow reassembled armor's armor around himself. 
He's dragging Wildside by the remains of Danny's poltergeist tether over to Tashi. Bingo bango, he's finally able to touch her, using his reality warping powers to change her bad dreams to good, and then boom. Suddenly, the inky mass is full of literal sunshine and lollipops, uh, unicorns and plushies too. The bubble bursts, uh, it's like the world's weirdest pinata, and the new mutants are free. Tashi still looks all twisted, it's worth noting. I figured she'd probably go back to looking the way she did in her earliest picture. I think we saw her on an info page where she just looked like a regular uh, preteen or teenage girl. But at least for the moment, she still looks like she did on the inside of the ink bubble, which is to say she has exaggerated features, she's kind of hunched over. It's a, it's a different look. So now, as the New Mutants pick themselves up, the Carnelian Guard decides it's time to arrest them. You gotta remember, they still believe that this entire Magilla here was just a show from the Kirkoans in order to strut their stuff in light of Carnelia refusing to sign the treaty. Which is exactly what the Prime Minister wants them all to believe, of course. And so, our heroes are surrounded. The new mutants who were just freed from the ink world are momentarily powerless, so they're kind of out of it, so if this were to come to a fight, well, they'd be of precious little use. Boom Boom is totally ready to start chucking bombs left and right, but Danny thankfully is able to talk her off the precipice, suggesting that maybe it's best just to surrender, regroup, and then come up with a better plan. Turns out that this is a completely moot point, however, because before the Carnelians can take our kids into custody, magic shows up, and she's pissed. Now, she lays down a few threats before warping the entire New Mutants team and Tashi away. Next, an info page, and it's our friends at Docs. They're talking all about the Carnelian carnage, which is, uh, you know, decent sensationalism in it. Uh, one thing on this page that kinda, kinda irks me is how they're still poking fun at how Boom Boom had a bunch of different code names. Uh, this is just some of that low-hanging fruit sort of stuff that gets under my skin. This is definitely just a Chris problem. But if I never have to hear that Boom Boom had a lot of code names, or that Kitty Pride was scared of Storm's mohawk, or that Jean Grey dies all the time, it would be way, way, way too soon. From here, we resume our story. We're back on Krakoa, and we're in the Healing Gardens. The Morlock Healer is running some tests on Karma, and he's found a strange anesthetic in her blood, which he's going to test. Now, this is the stuff that's running through our new friend Tashi's veins while she sleeps. So if he can get to the bottom of it, they can have a better idea of what makes her tick. We learn here that Tashi's new code name is going to be Cosmar. Don't know what that means, but yeah, it's good as any. Nearby, Armor is still coming to grips with the vision of her family that she saw, and Doug goes to lend her a shoulder, but she'd prefer to be alone. Maybe she saw that one of Doug's shoulders is techno-organic and didn't want any part of it. From here, another info page, and it's Boom Boom's diary, and it's sort of uh, actually summing up the entire Brisson run to this point. Uh, she talks about the farm, she talks about Nova Roma, and of course she talks about Carnelia. Gotta say, Tabitha's uh, voice here is still wildly annoying. Elsewhere, Danny is visiting with Cosmar, who's locked in a glass tube while they try to get a bead on her powers. Maxime and Manon are there as well. With the latter offering to pop into uh, Tashi's head and change her memories to, to avoid any further bad dreams, to which Danny says no. Further, Danny says the following, quote, It would be easy for us to do that, but we can't remake people. We can't change their past, even if we think what we're doing will help them. 
Unquote. So uh, clearly, our Ms. Moonstar has not been reading X-Force lately. Yeah. Anywho, M and M are here because Manon is going to use his empathic powers on Tashi in order to keep her calm. Maxime is there to make sure Manon doesn't fall asleep on the job. The creepy kids, they're just there, happy to help, so they're fine with this. We resume back at the sextant, I think, maybe? Wherever we are, we're with Magic, Danny, and Doug, and they're talking about our favorite website, chrisandreggie.pot, no, um, Docs, Docs, of course. Um, Magic fills her friends in on the fact that she was able to follow them to Carnelia simply because Docs reported it. Also, that Docs posted the address for the Bohusk farm in Pilgrim, Nebraska, which led to that big mess. Danny asks if what Docs is doing is against the law, because to her, it's gotta be. But alas, it is not. At least, not it's not against human law. And so, the New Mutants are going to regulate on the basement-dwelling bloggers behind the Docs site. And I guess I'm on I'm off the hook there, because we really don't have basements in Arizona. But if they did say Kitchen Island-dwelling bloggers, well... Well, then I'd probably be getting up and locking my doors right about now, not that it would be much help. Anyway, we wrap up this issue with the New Mutants preparing to take their fight to Docs. And I tell you what, I can't wait to see this one. So, looking forward to the next issue. But next episode, we're going to rejoin our old friend Wolverine for his third issue. But before that, let's talk about what we have here. Well, I suppose this was a uh, satisfying enough conclusion to the Carnelia arc. Um, plus we wind up with a brand new mutant Thing of it is, uh, there really isn't all that much to say about it, is there? Um, I mean, the bits with the inky limbo balloon I, I feel like they really didn't need to leak into this issue, did they? Uh, there really wasn't all that much to it Armor's bubble broke Mondo repaired it and brought Wildside over to touch Tashi, and that's it I, I get that we have trades to fill And issues to fill en route to X of Tens, but... There really wasn't all that much in the way of meat here, you know? Uh, granted, I mean, the reality is Marvel doesn't care about the week-to-week or month-to-month customer anymore, so this is just a, a bit more of me shaking my fist at the sky. But still, this was a bit thin. We get an ending, and it's not a bad one in the slightest. But the trip we took to get there was kind of like, like driving through Nebraska. Not a whole lot to see or talk about. Uh, for me, the main takeaway for this issue was Danny's comments to the creepy twins toward the end of the issue. She talks about how it isn't right to mess with people's past experiences, even if we think we're doing them a favor. Now, for those of you who have listened to this show uh, a time or two, you know we've spent quite a bit of time talking about that here on the show, especially in light of Domino's resurrection. Uh, the first one, I think. I mean, geez, there have been so many. Uh, The one where she was scarred, both physically and emotionally, before she died. I hope that narrows it down enough to figure out which one we're talking about here. I hope this was not an accidental mention. Because, to be honest, I'm still not convinced that any of the creators involved are actually reading each other's work here. And I'm also not sure what the slew of credited editors actually do either. Hopefully it's intentional. And if it was, well, then I liked it. Because, I mean, this might sort of set the table... For an eventual Krakoan schism. If we remember, uh, Nightcrawler mentioned back in X-Men number 7 that he was already seeing cracks in the foundation of this mutant society, and this sort of thing may speak to that. I'm very excited if this is the case, because, uh, I mean, there's some weirdness going on here. We know for a fact that Domino's been altered, and we don't know that it was her wishes to be altered. 
And then, you know, we can consider things like, well, does she have any right to ask to be altered? It's, there's a lot of, uh, I, I don't want to use the word philosophical because I'm anything but, but I suppose there is a philosophical element to it. But it's, uh, it's interesting. And seeing Danny here, not talking about the resurrection protocols, but just simply the fact that they have this, this mutant child who can change people's memories and has done so for, uh, for Beacon Angel and the kids uh, back after the Pilgrim Mass. It's, it's just interesting to see that being revisited here, and it opens things up to, to the realization that they can actually change people without them dying. You know, because I think we've, we've put a lot of focus on the fact that once they die, I mean, whatever Professor X wants to do with them, he's going to do with them. But here with Maxime and Manon, this can happen even before death. So it's, uh, I don't know, it's interesting. I, I wonder if this will ever come to play. And it's one of those things like we have a book like Hellions right now with these inconvenient mutants. And you wonder why Maxime and Manon weren't, you know, brought into maybe tinker in their heads a bit or before Sabretooth was thrown into stasis. It's yeah, just food for thought, food for thought. Now, what else do we have here? Uh, Armor is disturbed by seeing her family in the nightmare balloon. I don't recall much of Armor's backstory, just that she was a, you know, she was Joss Whedon's big contribution to the X-Men, which at the time, I think a lot of us joked that it was just another young girl for Wolverine to team up with and mentor, which, you know, she sort of was. Uh, I don't know that I'm all excited to see where this story arc goes. Uh, I don't know that we need to explore it much further either. Which means we're probably going to get a 12-part story arc digging into it right after X of Tens, but fingers crossed we don't. Uh, boom, boom, she's still very annoying. But uh, it seems that, you know, <laughs> that ship's already sailed, at least for now. I am curious if Tashi Rapino will become a member of this team, or, conversely, if we'll ever see her again. I feel like she might just become a character we can spot in the background of a panel every few issues, which, after all I know, might be exactly what you know needs to be done with her. Uh, what I'm most happy about here with this issue is the fact that next issue takes the fight to Docs, which is a concept that I've been excited to see fleshed out a bit uh, since it was first mentioned several issues back. I have high hopes, cautious optimism for the next issue, or however many the Doc story will fill. I think... Uh, I think it's only. I think it's going to be a one and done because I think right after next issue we go into X of Ten, so it's got to just be a one one and done. So I'm looking forward to it. High hopes for it. Um, let's briefly touch on the art before we go. It was good, but there's this weird thing with Flaviano here. It looks as though everybody has a bandaid on their cheek. I think it's supposed to indicate like a, a shine, like a dewiness, but it really just looks like a bandaid. The, the line work on it is too harsh to make it feel like it's just a, a you know a degradation of color or whatever just to show a glow. It looks like its own thing, and it's on like every face here. It kept catching my attention. Uh, other than that, it was good. I suppose overall, if you've read this far into the Carnelia story, then you'll probably want to check this one out too. It was decent, but not exceptional. And that's all I got to say about New Mutants number 11. Let's hop into the mailbag here and uh, do some chatting. We're going to start with Damien, who's talking about Marauders number 10. He says, I have reread Marauders 6 through 12 a number of times and really enjoy the story. Within that ongoing story, issue 10 works very well, but by itself, it's slightly lacking. 
There's an element of padding in here that makes me wonder if Duggan was made to extend his story by one issue to plug the gap until X of Tens. And you know, I have no insider knowledge, but it sure reads that way, doesn't it? It really does. Um, I'll usually point out things like truncation, which to me, especially in this day and age, kind of stands out more than decompression and padding, simply due to the nature of monthly comic storytelling in order to fill a trade we're just so accustomed to decompression. When we see something like truncation, it really stands out. It's like a it's like a, a red alert. But yes, this feels like we might be lingering on some points here a bit to pad out our page count. Um, this probably does have a lot to do with getting us to X of tens, which you know it it reminds me that it's been a minute since our last big crossover. Yeah, I, I honestly can't believe it's taken us this long to get here. It used to be, at least it would feel like, we'd get like three or four months of story, followed by at least four months of crossover, and then repeat, repeat, repeat. That's the way it felt, but here, and I know the uh, the COVID um, hiatus pushed X of Tens back a bit further than they intended to, but uh, I feel like we're actually getting some decent, decent story here before we're getting into the event, and hopefully... Hopefully they stick with that, because, God, I mean, how many events are going on in Marvel right now? Right this minute? There's got to be like three or four. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. Um, not including X of Tens, of course. Uh, Damien continues. Interesting to hear you comment about the reading order in your copy. I buy new comics digitally, and my issue has the correct reading order. They must have printed your one before the shutdown and corrected the digital edition. I'm really looking forward to hearing your thoughts on the next two issue of Mar- issues of Marauders, as I love them. And what Damien's talking about there is, um, well, he basically said it right there. It's the reading order list in the back of the issues that uh, that I've been using as a guide to put together these episodes in the episode order. Uh, they were all kind of weirded out because of the, the COVID hiatus. Um, I mean, the list I was looking at actually had Children of the Atom. On it as releasing in April I don't think we're getting that until Maybe this coming April Or February or something like that Somewhere late winter, early spring We're not getting that until But it was interesting to see that And it's interesting to me that um, That they'd bother to edit it for the digital um, I mean the indicia as well Because everywhere I look The, uh, the uh, What is it? The cover date for these issues Was pushed back but in my copies, they said June, and a lot of these books came out in June and July, so for a bit of weirdness there, the indicia was actually earlier than the release date. And since I am such a stickler for the way things are in the book, I keep it that way. I don't I don't <laughs> refer to the others, but uh, it's really interesting that they would bother to do that. I may, Maybe there's a legal component to that. Maybe? I don't know. Uh, you know, ever since digital has become... This ubiquitous presence in comics publishing Some of the decisions they've made about You know, meta-edits Have fascinated me Um, Not only this instance with the Indicia Being altered to reflect a new uh, release date But things like the rating systems Which, you know, I know I've touched on this before Somewhere on this channel But I couldn't tell you exactly where And if I did, I mean Then you'd have to go find it yourself And, I mean, who's got time for that? Uh what I'm getting at is stuff like seeing that a book had initially bore the Comics Code Authority seal on them, right? Which, to me, and to most, says that's yeah, safe for kids. Now those same books are being rated as T+, as in, you know, for people 13 and over. 
And I wonder, like, what changed, right? Why, why is a book that was approved by the Comics Code, the, you know, the stringent, horrible, Puritan Comics Code authority, why is a book approved by them no longer suitable for kids 12 and under? Seems weird. My go-to for this is, um, I don't remember exactly the issue number. It's Superman Volume 2 number 22 or 23. John Byrne's last issue where, where Superman kills the, uh, the Phantom Zone criminals. Big deal at the time. Uh, to some, it still is. Uh, but that was a Comics Code approved book, and it was rated like 13 plus on Comicsology, And it just seemed so weird that... Back in the 80s, we were, we were, we were built of strong enough stuff to, to read a story where, where Superman can kill someone. Whereas today, we, we just can't. But yes, the, the digital physical, uh, you know, d- the dissonance between them is very interesting to me. It's one of those things that is probably only interesting to me because I'm sure I'm probably boring everybody here. Uh, the next two issues of Marauders, I'm also looking forward to those because uh, I believe this is where uh, a lot of a lot of chickens come home to roost. So I haven't read ahead. All I've looked at is the covers, and the covers do tell a tale, which I'm very, very interested in seeing how it plays out. But uh, I look forward to sharing my thoughts and uh, those, those issues with everybody when we get to them. But uh, thank you so much, Damien, for uh, reaching out and sharing your thoughts there. Next, we're going to go to uh, Mark, a.k.a. Green Lantern HG, and he's talking about X-Force number 10. We've actually got a, a double feature for, uh, for Mark here. Regarding X-Force number 10, he says, Great couple of episodes, Chris. Just, just as you said, I was expecting Kenny to peek around the corner and say, They killed Domino, you bastards. And, uh, yes, that is a commentary on how often Domino and, and you know, also Quentin Quire are killed in X-Force. And it almost feels like we're veering into parody at this point. It's like, just because you can kill everyone doesn't mean you have to, right? Uh, And of course, given the new status quo, we're expecting casualties. That's just part of the game now. That's part of the story. That's part of the hook. But this is just way too much, in my opinion, of course. I mean, there might be folks out here there who just love it, love seeing these characters die in different ways. Uh, and it's funny, I mean, they didn't kill people this rapidly in Strike Force Moratori, and that was the whole gimmick of the book. It's so weird how they're just... We can't go an issue, it seems. Uh, another piece from Mark, talking about Giant Size Magneto. He says, another great episode, Chris. Now, I feel like this was a little more Marvel, having Namor in this issue is weird and yet familiar. And I'll confess, I'm one of the few people that never stopped calling Magneto Eric. And yeah, this was an interesting issue. Um, as I said during the episode, not much meat on the bone for a $5 book, in my opinion. But decent enough world building. And I am a sucker for world building, and I'm interested in seeing where they're headed with uh, Emma's new island. And yes, I'm with you. Uh, Magneto will always be Eric. Or, or Magnus, to me. <laughs> I remember on trading cards, his real name was Magnus. And it was like, ah. Well, it sounds like Magneto, so I guess that's fair enough. But thank you so much for your kind words and sharing your thoughts there, Mark. I really, really appreciate it. Next, uh, our friend Evan Bevins chimes in to uh, address Damien's comment in episode 35 regarding the use of the Queen of England in Excalibur. 
Now, he says, listening to the mailbag from episode 35, and while I understand Damien's concerns, I really want to see Captain America reporting on his activities to a bald eagle, particularly in the midst of the most serious stories. And yeah, not going to lie, I'd like to see that too. Maybe, maybe we could Photoshop a bald eagle over every appearance of Maria Hill during the 2010s, since Cap seemed to have to report, like, even every bowel movement to her. We could just have her being a bald eagle. I think it would be really, really good. But uh, I, I, I've said it before. I love it when uh, when listeners comment on each other's comments. And uh, Damien's discussion of uh, the Queen of England being used in Excalibur was, was very funny and very uh, enlightening to uh, you know, a, an unworldly fellow like myself. But... Um, I always like to see the humor and that kind of stuff. So thank you, Evan, for for reporting in. Uh, next, Joe Crawford is going to rank his Dawn of X number twos. He's just burning through the uh, anthology trades here, and he's been sharing a lot of thoughts with me in his rankings. So let's see how he ranked the Dawn of X Wave 1 number twos. Number one, Marauders. Two, X-Force. Three, New Mutants. Four, X-Men. Five, Excalibur. Six, Fallen Angels. Joe says it's a pretty strong month. He even enjoyed some of Excalibur. It's starting to find the right mix of silliness and action. X-Force was my surprise. Really dug it. Island mating in X-Men? Hickman nailed it. Ready for book three. Well, thank you. I, and you're, you're just burning through these things so quick. It's amazing. I really appreciate you sharing your thoughts with us here, and it's it's so weird that, I mean, it's almost goes without saying that Excalibur and Fallen Angels will be five or six in just about anybody's lists. That's <laughs> I don't know. It's just uh, the way it is. I don't know that I've seen anyone rank them higher at uh, to this point. Maybe I have, but uh, not too many. Not too many, especially not Fallen Angels. But uh, Marauders is on the top of everybody's list here, and uh, it makes me wish that I was more in tune with the you know comics commentary community to see just how widespread the love is for Marauders, because it is a top-tier book here. And as I've said time and again, the most consistently strong book of the line. But thanks again, Joe, for, uh, for sharing your thoughts on the Wave 1 number 2s, and I'll probably be sharing your Wave 1 number 3s next episode. But we're going to wrap up with a message from Andrew Franklin discussing X-Force number 10. He starts by setting me straight and saying eggs are definitely not meat, which is kind of an earth-shattering thing for me. I, I don't know why, why I would get... It's so weird, right? I mean, are, are they meat? But, uh, but then you, you eat them with meat. You have them with bacon or with sausage. So maybe, maybe I've been wrong all this time. I don't know. And maybe I'm just confusing vegetarianism with veganism. That is a possibility as well. But he continues, X-Force number 10 is the first issue of that series that I'm reading for myself. Having now seen the book, I thought the art was a step down from the styles of Hellions and X-Men, the only two, two series I actually read issues for. I don't think it's bad, just not what I expected. I really did not like the info page that came during the Gene and Hank scene and was glad to hear you highlight your problems with it as well. It read like it was an actual page from the script and was published as an info page instead of drawing the two or three pages it would have taken up. It struck me as really lazy and kind of soured the book for me, which I thought was otherwise fine. And it's true. Um, that is a, a reference to an info page which basically tells the like, second half of a scene that we were watching <laughs> in sequential art form just a page before. 
And, uh, th- I mean, they, they do have uh, a way of lampshading it since they, they kind of introduced an observer. You know, someone actually saw this happen. But at the same time, it just felt like such a letdown, especially considering that this Hank and Gene confrontation is something that I feel like has been, you know, kind of bubbling away in the background here because Hank is doing some unethical and immoral things and Gene is, you know, the moral compass of the team. I felt like this should have been played out on panel, on page, in art. Whereas we got like a paragraph. It's like, oh, well, Gene said this and then Gene left and then Hank cried. It's like, what? <laughs> okay. And yes, it definitely it definitely soured the book for me as well a bit. As for the art, I, I, I'm really digging the art. I'm really digging the art. Uh, uh, what's his face? Uh, Kassara. Uh, I'm, I'm digging him. I, I've never seen him before. So it's a, it's a nice surprise for me. Uh, Andrew continues. It was great hearing Reggie again on the Sandman Gatherum you posted. I miss hearing his voice. I listened to the Gatherums as they were posted, and it was it was fun to remember how incomprehensible some of those books were. Just dreadful stuff. The Gatherums did make me check out The Dreaming, though, since I'm a big fan of Neil Gaiman's Sandman, and it actually sounded like it was good, a rarity in revisitations. I was glad to hear Reggie's good words about Bilquis Evely. I first learned of her when she was one of the regular artists on Rebirth-era Wonder Woman, and then she skyrocketed to the top of my favorite artist list. I have a very nice collage of her work on Wonder Woman hanging on my wall. And yes, I, I posted the final Sandman Universe Gatherum uh, on Black Friday in America as a... I said it was a way to tie in with all the folks who like Sandman wearing black, but in fact I just didn't want to have to take a break from preparing Thanksgiving dinner to record an episode. So I figured it was new to most, so <laughs> it was fair play. But uh, that was a fun one to put out. It was a fun one to revisit myself. Because, uh, yeah, like you said, uh, some of these books were very, very bad. Um, there were <laughs> the, uh, what is it, The Books of Magic, um, which was one I was very excited to do because I liked the original Books of Magic. And uh, I was we were covering that book on the Sandman Gatherums, and... There were literally issues of that book that could have been summed up with Tim look to the left. And that was it for 20-something pages. Tim look to the left. Just so bad. Decompression to the to the nth times a thousandth degree. Uh, just insanely decompressed. But um, those were fun to revisit and re-listen to. It's funny, out of all the stuff that, uh, you know, the thousands of hours Reggie and I recorded together uh, talking about comics and stuff, uh, the stuff that I'll that I find myself revisiting or wanting to revisit outside of comics talk, which are just very, very special episodes to me, uh, are things like the gatherums because they're just so weird. And it wasn't often where he and I would go off script and uh, just kind of react and just be frustrated with how bad a book is. Because, I mean, we chose some books that we didn't like for the cosmic treadmill like you know superman grounded jumps out immediately as a book that we both just despised but we had control over that we chose that book because we wanted to cover it and and explain why it why it was what it was with things like young animal and sandman we were given a job basically it's like here talk about this book good bad and different this is the book to talk about so we were kind of trapped in the best way possible is what I'm trying to get at Because 
Sometimes these books would make us very, very happy. Sometimes they would just really, really get under our skin, and we would just get so angry. I don't, I don't, try, I try not to curse too much on this channel. Um, and I think it was during Young Animal episodes, toward the end of the run, were the only couple of times that I dropped an f bomb on on this channel because <laughs> we were just so done with that line outside of maybe the mother panic book I, we both like that one at the end but everything else was just like okay let's get this thing done so those are the ones that i find myself really wanting to revisit uh whenever i would get around to revisiting episodes uh, uh before before reggie passed i would re-listen to those um every now and again but uh i haven't i haven't since but maybe one of these days i'll have to get back into that as well uh andrew wraps up with that's all I've got to say for now, so until I die and resurrect for the umpteenth time, make mine X-lapsed. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts there, Andrew, and thank you for the kind words about the Sandman gatherings here. I, I never know if people are going to listen to that stuff. Um, and a lot of those, I mean, like I said, they're, they're very special. Uh, a lot of the... A lot of the unfinished business episodes that I've put up since May uh, have been... They've been hard to do, and, and they've been hard to kind of promote because I don't. Know, it's, I just I feel weird promoting them. I feel weird trying to you know get hits, and it's uh, it's nice when when folks do listen to them and, and enjoy them, and uh, and are able to remember things. So thank you so much for that. It really means a lot. But uh, I think that's where we'll leave it for today. If anyone out there would like to get a hold of me, you can do so very easily. I'm at Ace Comics on Twitter or WeirdComicsHistory at gmail.com. You can find blog posts and show notes at Chris'sOnInfiniteEarth.com. There's also the dedicated X-Lapsed page, which now includes major X-Lapsed, over at xlapsed.chris'sOnInfiniteEarth.com. You could join us on Facebook and talk about whatever the hell you want. 90s X-Men is the group. And you can hear the entire Chris and Reggie audio archives, including... The Gatherums, Young Animals, Sandman, uh, Comics Talk is another good one there. Uh, that is chrisandreggie.podbean.com. But that's where we'll leave it for today. Just one giant thank you for everyone sharing their time and listening and just hanging out on this little trip through the Dawn of X uh, landscape with your pal Chris. So thank you all so, so much. And until next time, as always, I will talk to you again real soon. See ya. See ya.